Good morning, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is CJ Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. right here on WERU. So today, uh, on today's show, we'll be talking about the Good Life Center, which is the final home of Helen and Scott Nearing and located in Harborside, Maine, on five acres of forested land overlooking Spirit Cove. The mission of the Good Life Center is to perpetuate the legacy of Helen and Scott Nearing through its educational programming and the preservation of the historic Forest Farm homestead, the Good Life Center advocates for simple and sustainable living skills, social and economic justice, organic gardening, and the non-exploitation of animals. Um, so today, uh, I have two guests with me here in the studio, and I'd like to eat, uh, introduce each of them uh, and then give them a minute to talk a little bit about themselves and do a little self-introduction. Uh, but with me here are Warren Berkowitz. Uh, Warren lives in Blue Hill and is a board member and farm manager for the Good Life Center. And he and his wife uh, were good friends with Helen and Scott. So Warren, thanks for being here today. Well, thank you for the invitation, CJ. Great. Um, and then I also have Masanabu Ikemya, who lives in Bar Harbor, where he and his wife live sustainably on their farm, the Peace Farm. And they were very deeply inspired by the nearings. So Masanabu, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I will let listeners know that about halfway through the show, we'll open up the phone lines for any comments or questions, and I'll give out the number uh, at that time. But just to come back around to our guests today, um, Warren, if I could start with you and just ask you to maybe give a little bit of a self-intro and mm -hmm. a, a minute or two about uh, why you're here today. Okay. Uh, I'm Warren Berkowitz, as CJ mentioned, and I'm the manager of the Good Life Center, I've been managing for the last 10 years since I retired from public education. And uh, my wife and I were good friends of the Nearings, and uh, they had a very big influence on our life in terms of our lifestyle and the fact that we are uh, organic gardeners. And um, I'm very committed to uh, having the Good Life Center be a place for people to continue to come and learn about organic gardening and sustainable living and also learn about the legacy of Helen and Scott Nearing. Helen and Scott were very important people in our lives. Uh, my wife Nancy lived with them and worked side by side with them for years. Uh, she helped uh, Helen in Scott's last year of his life um, and uh, they've just been very important to us. So. Um, that's where my commitment comes to the Good Life Center. Okay, great. Thank you for being here. And Masanabu, if I could ask you for a little self-introduction. Okay, well, my wife uh, Tomoko and I, uh, as you mentioned, um, live in Bar Harbor um, in Town Hill, uh, Frenchman Hill, and we have homesteading, uh, homestead. Um, it's uh, three and a half acre, and uh, we raise, uh, try to anyway, uh, most of our food we eat. Uh, we try to live off the land and uh, try to live as simply as possible as a uh, little footprint on the earth. Um, and I met uh, Helen um, in late 70s. Um, I used to do uh, uh, 
concert series, um, Blue Hill Concerts Association concerts uh, in Blue Hill Congregational Church. I mm -hmm. started on, you know, uh, goodness, that's 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, 1978. So, uh, and um, she used to come because she was, uh, Helen was a professional violinist. Uh, she was educated in Holland and in Vienna. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she was really a classic, you know, um, she loved classical music, of course. And uh, so she used to come to my concert and that's how I got to know her. And then she invited me to her homestead uh, in, you know, Forest Farm. And uh, I just got into it. And uh, so I, I just, she planted the seed in me that this is a way to live, you mm -hmm. know homesteading, self-sustaining, you know, uh, as little um, damage to the earth as possible and uh, just simple, good life. Um, and so after I did, you know, uh, so many years of concertizing, um, gradually uh, transitioned into, uh, you know, homesteading life, okay. which uh, we do um, passionately right now. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Thank you for being here. Um, so I just wanted to remind listeners, this is Common Ground Radio. Today we're talking about the Good Life Center, which is located in Harborside, Maine. Uh, and it is the kind of homestead of Helen and Scott Nearing, um, who I think will start with a little bit of kind of history of the mm -hmm. location and the Nearings themselves, which uh, Warren, I would ask you to maybe just kind of give a little bit of background in case people aren't familiar. Sure, and it, it's a great way to start because when we have school groups, we have uh, high school groups, and we have college groups from U University of Maine, College of the Atlantic, Unity College, Colby College come, I usually start with, well, who were Helen and Scott Nearing and why were they so important? Mm -hmm. And where I usually start is the fact that Helen and Scott found themselves living in New York City during the Great Depression, and like many people had trouble uh, with the food supply in the city. Mm -hmm. And uh, like other people, uh, they decided to uh, go to the land and see if they could grow their own food at the time. And they certainly weren't the only ones. There was a big movement at that time. Um, for instance, the uh, Dorothy Day from the Catholic Worker set of farms all over outside New York City. But Helena Scott decided to buy some land in Vermont. And uh, because of uh, Helen was a very committed vegetarian. She was a vegetarian her whole life. Scott became a vegetarian uh, when he started living with Helen. Mm -hmm. And also uh, Helen's spiritual background. She grew up as a theosophist. And that spiritual background had a great connection to the natural world. And so when they moved to uh, Vermont, they decided to um, grow food as, as best they could through a natural way of doing it. And obviously that's now called organic. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, um, they were committed to growing food without using any animal products, no manure, um, no blood meal, nothing from uh, anything other than plant-based compost to grow their food. And they uh, were amazingly successful in doing that. They had beautiful gardens. They uh, ate probably 80 to 85% of their diet came from their garden. Um, they also experimented with uh, growing food in the harsh northeast uh, uh, climate. Uh, this was before green, greenhouses and plastics mm -hmm. and row cover. Uh, they experimented with growing food uh, all year round. And uh, they were encouraged to write about their experience. And uh, so uh, towards the end of their stay in Vermont, uh, 
uh, they wrote a book called Living the Good Life, and it didn't actually come out until the early 1950s when they moved to Maine. But it was a very successful book, and it was a description of their life in Vermont, how they grew their food, why they grew their food, and why they grew their food in a particular way. And when I talked to college and high school kids, I emphasized the fact that they did this in the 30s and 40s um, when the rest of the country was really turning to industrial agriculture. Chemical fertilizers, chemical pesticides were really becoming the way to farm, the way to garden. And they were one of several voices in the dark mm -hmm. uh, saying that really organics was the way to go. And uh, so that made their voice even more important as the 50s rolled around and we were seeing the environmental damage from industrial agriculture, the erosion, the pollution into streams, rivers, and eventually the ocean and the fish, um, so that uh, their voice was very important in people recognizing the importance of organic gardening. And this is really a great way to talk to kids about it because I don't think they realize the, the history behind uh, the chemical fertilizers, the chemical pesticides yeah. that uh, we're really living with the effects of that today, going from small farms to large industrial farms because of the chemical fertilizers. So their history is really a rich one. They ended up leaving Vermont because uh, their particular area was uh, the ski industry had come into Stratton Mountain area. And so they decided to move to rural Maine and start over again. And uh, they set up, uh, they bought an old farm in uh, Harborside uh, with about 150 acres. Uh, they built a big stone wall. They had built a lot of buildings out of stone, including a maple sugar uh, house in Vermont. Uh, but in Maine, they, uh, they had a 100 by 100 garden. Uh, they built a stone wall around it. Uh, they continued to garden in a natural, organic way. And uh, their book, Living the Good Life, uh, became very popular. And in the 60s and 70s, it really uh, touched a nerve with a lot of young people, including myself. I was living outside of Boston, reading Mother Earth News and seeing their column. They had a regular column there and read Living the Good Life. And I said, I need to go up and meet these people. And I did. And my wife at the time was living in Florida. She read Living the Good Life and came up and met them and ended up living with them and working with them. But they influenced thousands and thousands of people um, to look at organic gardening and organic farming as the way to go. And also, didn't they go around different colleges uh, throughout the United States in oh, the wintertime and lectured all around? Yes, after their book came out and became popular, they were asked to speak all over the country, actually all over the world. They mm -hmm. would... Uh, China and, and uh, yeah, China, Russia, Eastern, Eastern Japan. Uh, Europe. Um, they uh, also Scott was a famous uh, socialist and political analyst, and so he was he was asked to lecture mm -hmm. about uh, capitalism and socialism all over the world as well. So the combination led them to be very popular in terms of going, uh, particularly in the winter, uh, going out and and talking to groups about their lifestyle and, and their famous book, Living the Good Life. Um, and I would encourage anybody uh, to read that book if you haven't, um, and also encourage people to come and visit the Good Life Center and see their last homestead, which they built in the 70s when S Helen was in her 70s and Scott was in their 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, they built this amazing homestead that we're uh, now maintaining as the Good Life Center. 
and we hope to continue to be an inspiration for people all over the world uh, that do make the trek all the way out to Harborside to see their works. But I think the message to young people that I, I give when I, I do talk to them when they come to the Good Life Center is the history of organics and uh, try not to preach but also just tell them about the history of organics and chemical and fertilizers and chemical pesticides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to have the history because um, as people may think that really the, the shift occurred maybe in the 60s and 70s, exactly. but to know that there were some pioneers uh, a few decades earlier. Exactly, and they certainly weren't the other ones. There's Rodale mm-hmm. and others uh, that were certainly doing the same thing they were doing. And we're very good about articulating it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Um, so in terms of where we are today with the Good Life Center, um, I'm just curious about how the organization came about sure. yeah, towards the end question. of their life or after. Yeah. Well, Helen, uh, Scott died in 1983 at the age of 100. Um, and uh, Helen... Uh, was getting into her 90s she was really trying to figure out what to do with the place she saw the end of her life coming and uh, she started coming up with different ideas of um, what what to do with the place her main objective was to keep the place open to the public she saw even when Scott died um, she was surprised that people continued to come and want to be part of the place and see the place and be inspired so that uh, she uh, she went about just exploring different ideas. Unfortunately, she died uh, from in a car accident, and she never really uh, finalized her plans for the Good Life Center. She had been working with an organization out of Boston called the Trust for Public Land. Mm-hmm. So between the Trust for Public Land and a bunch of her friends, including myself and my wife, Nancy, uh, we formed the Good Life Center. And as you said at the beginning of the show, uh, the mission of the Good Life Center is to m- promote their legacy. Mm-hmm. And we do that in several ways. We, uh, we have a residency program where uh, a couple come every season and they live there. Uh, they live the simple life. They learn about the simple life. Uh, they learn about homesteading. They learn about gardening while living there. Mm-hmm. And their job is to help maintain the place as well as greet the hundreds and hundreds of visitors that come throughout the year. Um, so that's one, one aspect. The other aspect is an educational aspect. We have different workshops throughout the year. We start in April uh, with a uh, apple pruning workshop. Cousin Phil from WERU uh, <laughs> teaches people how to uh, prune the apple trees out there. And then we get to work on the garden and we invite people to come and work in the garden. Uh, it's a demonstration garden. And so we garden as the nearings garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we compost as the nearings composted so people can learn about how they did it. Uh, we participate in the farm day of the Department of Agriculture and have workshops during that day. We have special events during, this, during the summer. So, for instance, tomorrow we're having a solar workshop at 10 o'clock, Revision Energy, which installed a... Uh, Somebody donated uh, uh, solar panels to the Good Life Center so that we can be totally uh, off the grid. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're going to come out and talk to people about solar energy, and that's tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And then we have a Monday night meeting series that um, every Monday night in July and August, we invite a speaker to... uh, 
to speak about some t- some aspect of the legacy of the nearings. It can be a political discussion. Sometimes it's about homesteading. Um, this Monday, we have an author from Port Clyde, Maine, Margot Kelly. She's this wonderful person who's writing a book about the history of homesteading in the United States. And she's also going to be talking about uh, a utopian, intentional community that Scott Nearing lived in uh, for a couple of years and the influence that that had on his life and uh, Helen and Scott's life. But of what very important to uh, your listeners, CJ, is a week from Monday, Elliot Coleman, who runs Four Season Farm out in Harborside, uh, he'll be speaking about organic gardening and the future, what he sees as the future of organic gardening and farming. Uh, so that's uh, August 13th at 7 o'clock at the Good Life Center. And uh, we we never charge any admission to any of our programs. It's strictly by donation. And uh, hope to see a lot of your listeners there on uh, a week from Monday and even this Monday as well. And then, of course, coming up uh, in in August is a concert by uh, Masanabu on Sunday, August 19th at 3 o'clock at the UU Church. And if you've never heard Masanabu play uh, the piano, it's a real treat and something uh, that you'll really enjoy. So that's Sunday, August 19th at 3 o'clock. Okay. All right, great. A lot of different events, and we'll be able to kind of we'll let listeners know some of those dates again as we move on great. into the show. Um, I did want to make sure that people were aware that the Good Life Center is set up as a nonprofit yes, it is. organization, yep. correct, yep. with an educational focus. Right, and we have a board of directors. Uh, we participate with a lot of other organizations like the Maine Extension Service, uh, some of the local colleges, um, Department of Agriculture, uh, MAFCO, we were, we're always at the uh, Common Ground Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helen and Scott were really instrumental in, in getting MAFCO off the ground. They were involved in the early days of uh, the Common Ground Fair. Mm-hmm. They were keynote speakers and uh, also um, always had a table set up selling books and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's the first time I met my wife, Nancy, was <laughs> at the Common Ground Fair at Helen's table. So All right. That what, was real what rich year history. was that? What? What was that? What year? What year? Oh, I one of the early years. <laughs> when did that start? In the seventies, oh, yeah. sometime oh, in the seventies yeah. yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So there's a little background on the on the Good Life Center itself. Um, I think in terms of thinking, uh, getting through the history and some of that uh, chronology there, um, I'd like to maybe move into some of. Uh, the nearings just beliefs themselves in food mm-hmm. and in gardening. Exactly. Um, and I thought if you could maybe speak in a couple methods or techniques. Um, sure. Yeah, I think that's really that's a really great question. Uh, <clears throat> certainly, their belief in organics had to do with, as I said earlier, about their spiritual belief in the natural world, and they really looked to the natural world on how trees and how the forest um, kind of fertilized them. Selves, and uh, that's how they modeled their uh, their gardening uh, efforts uh, using plant-based compost. And Scott was very much into uh, the main focus of his gardening was enriching the soil. He said, uh, "You don't worry about the plants. You don't concentrate about the plants. You concentrate on the soil." Mm-hmm. And he, his objective was to uh, enrich the soil so that the plants did really well, so that they were resistant to uh, disease, 
um, and that they that the garden was always in better shape at the end of the season, uh, even after the plants had used all the all the nutrients that you just kept on adding to to the nutrients in in the soil. So the soil was the bottom line for uh, Scott. Mm-hmm. He felt that that was the most important element in in organics. Okay, and, and I think like the other the mimicking nature piece. I think it's some of the. Uh, educational programming that Mofka does about mm-hmm. organic gardening. Exactly. That mimicking nature theme is yes. one that is always mentioned. Right, um, exactly. As well as, you know, the essential Exactly. Uh, so if you ask soil is. if you ask Scott a question and remember Scott was a frustrated teacher. He was blacklisted from academia <laughs> and uh, whenever you asked him a question you got a long answer. <laughs> but basically it was build your soil. Mm-hmm. So if you asked him about tomatoes it ended up enrich your soil. If you ask about cucumber beetles or some type of rot on a, on a leaf, improve your soil. Mm-hmm. That's what it always came down to with Scott. And uh, it's a very simple answer, but a very, uh, very direct answer as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you talk about uh, their composting method? It's wonderful that, you know, they have several composting pile yes. going at the same time and uh, they use lots of forest uh, leaves, right? Yes, they, they use basically uh, Scott's philosophy was to anything get as much into the compost as you can because everything eventually will break down. Mm-hmm. And what they used, they used it, uh, they built a crib out of kind of waste uh, poles and uh, they, they built the compost up from there. And the idea was to layer green and brown as you worked your way up. And um, he used a lot of seaweed because they, they live right by the cove. Mm-hmm. And uh, seaweed is high in nutrients and minerals and breaks down really easily. So they layered a lot of seaweed in with their compost. And basically they would let uh, the sun, and because of it was a crib set up, there was a lot of air coming in from the sides and from the top. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. He didn't turn his compost very often, um, but he felt that uh, just leaving it and letting the worms come up from the ground, and um, it was really an effective way to do that. And when you build it this way, uh, you might start out with three feet of uh, of a compost heap. Then you'll you'll feel you'll actually feel the compost warming up. Mm-hmm. You know, and that'll it'll stay warm for a week or two, and then you'll start you'll start seeing the the pile shrink, <laughs> and uh, basically the decomposition is happening, and uh, and that's how Scott did that, and he had uh, multiple compost heaps going at the same time. He usually was on a one or two year um, cycle, mm-hmm. and he knew exactly what went into each each pile and. Uh, he did use some amendments in the in the garden, like uh, soybean meal and alfalfa meal from times, mm-hmm. depending on uh, the particular crop. Um, but uh, it was it was mostly based on on his compost, and he he really believed that everything organic could go in there, mm-hmm. and eventually it would break down. And uh, when he used the compost, he sifted it so that when um, certain things didn't break down, let's say there were leaves that didn't break down, they wouldn't go through. The sifter, and mm-hmm. so you would take those and put that into the new compost heap. <laughs> to the next pile. Right. You would never waste a leaf <laughs> or anything. And so the next year, maybe that leaf would then become compost yeah. uh, for the garden. Yeah. And um, so he was really, like I said, uh, his, his bottom line was 
enrich the soil. And all his discussions uh, or any answers that you uh, you you got from him ended up being enrich the soil, mm-hmm. enrich the soil. All about the soil. Exactly. That's what his his bottom line was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I I like that fact that he used lots of leaves from the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you mentioned, that the forest is the sort of uh, you know where that we get supported. You know, exactly. Uh, forest. Uh, and uh, so that co- goes uh, along with the Mofka, uh, you know, the, our favorite speaker at the Mofka, Will Bonsal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he always, uh, you know, talks about uh, how we should utilize these leaves more from the forest to make compost because uh, forests um, are abundantly, constantly um, drawing up this uh, nutrient from with, a, you know, large tap roots mm-hmm. in the ground. And constantly, so it's not depleting the topsoil, you know. Exactly. And uh, so, and the mimic, mimicking this, you know, uh, leaves uh, in a forest, uh, which uh, leaves falls down and they break down and become nutrient for the vegetables. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, Scott was doing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research now about, you know, the microorganisms and the bacteria and all that. Yeah. You need that that compost that humus. Mm-hmm. Uh, to create that, uh, and of course the earthworms love it too, and they're they're the gardener's best friend. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and I, I want to emphasize that Helen and Scott, they were very spiritual about uh, their belief in what they were doing. Uh, that was a big part of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people saw their hard work and saw the end product, these beautiful gardens, but they really had a spiritual basis to what they were doing. They really fir- firmly believed that this was the, the way to do gardening, and it was good for the earth, and it was good for uh, the spirit, as, spirit world as mm-hmm. well. Okay. Yeah, so they didn't use any animal uh, manure, or, you know, cow manure, nothing exactly. like that. Exactly. Right? They were opposed to doing that, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they had no animal, no animal products on the no, farm. No, and they were they were pretty strict vegetarians. Uh, they uh, they did use some honey, and towards the end of their life, they incorporated uh, a little dairy in their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Helen was known to eat some ice cream from now and then. <laughs> uh, but uh, basically, they they were very uh, very big advocates for uh, a vegetarian way of life. They really thought that was uh, a much much healthier. Mm-hmm. And they spent a lot of time uh, uh, reading and exploring different health uh, uh, issues, and they really it really came back to that they really felt that a vegetarian lifestyle was a much healthier lifestyle, and uh, and they certainly proved it by their longevity exactly. and their energy. Yeah, yeah, it was quite quite a long quite a long life, quite a long good life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I'll just remind listeners that this is Common Ground Radio, and today we're talking about the Good Life Center and the legacy of Scott and Helen Nearing. Uh, and my guests in the studio are Warren Berkowitz, who is a board member and farm manager for uh, the Good Life Center, and Masanabu Ekemnya, who is a homesteader, gardener, farmer, uh, inspired by the Nearings who lives in Bar Harbor. Um, and in just a few minutes, we'll open up the phone lines uh, for folks to call in with comments um, and questions. But I did want to just touch back on, since we were just speaking about the Nearing's beliefs on food, and I'm curious, Warren, if you knew um, what brought that belief to them. Was it their upbringing? Were they inspired by some other 
Well, I think folks. it's a combination of things. I mean, Helen grew up as a vegetarian, which was unusual back in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so she was very committed at, at a young age to thinking that vegetarian lifestyle and diet was uh, was the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. Scott came around after he met Helen. Um, so they, as they lived together, they really uh, felt that a vegetarian diet was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also, Helen was deeply, as she talked about that for me too, that uh, deeply influenced by um, the Krishnamurti, uh, who yes. uh, was a big influence on her. And Krishnamurti, as you know, some people might be aware, was uh, uh, from India, a uh, spiritual teacher, and uh, who advocated uh, vegetarian diet. Um, most of the Hindu uh, teachings. Uh, uh, you know, advocate um, uh, vegetarian diet uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not take advantage of animals and, uh, you know, just to live in harmony with all the living beings. Um, and so Krishnamurti was a uh, big, big part of Helen's, uh, you know. Yeah. And thinking about Scott's political background in terms of uh, socialism and uh, really being an advocate for the underdog. He mm-hmm. was um, he was really against oppression everywhere. And so they really extended that to the animal world mm-hmm. on a personal level, that they didn't want to um, take advantage of the animal world or uh, oppress them, that they were on the earth just like we were, mm-hmm. and that they shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be eaten or killed. And uh, so that was really kind of a spiritual, political combination on their part, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, well, uh, let's open up the phone lines for any uh, listeners that want to call in. And the number to call in, you can use the toll-free number, which is one 625 9378 or direct into the studio at 469-0500. And it looks like we already have a caller on the line from Swans Island. If you, I, I believe it's Ivor from Swans Island, if you'd like to uh, go ahead with your comment or question. Hi. I uh, had a chance to speak at the Good Life Center, a show, a, a film, last year. Um, and it was really neat to uh, get to know the Good Life Center and get to know a little bit about the philosophy of... Uh, and I just read the book um, Loving and Leaving the Good Life by uh, Helen. Uh, and I had read another, a couple of other on the uh, Making of a Radical and other books. And I really got to appreciate the uh, sensibility or the, the rationality of uh, Scott, and, Scott and Helen's uh, way of thinking. I really appreciated it. And it was a really neat experience to stay there and be part of the, um, to get a feel for what it was, the uh, the Good Life Center, and I, I like uh, organic gardening, and uh, among other things, I do uh, maple sugaring also. So I appreciate their uh, their their way of doing things. And I just wanted to say that thank you all for uh, letting me come and show the movie Nico Ella Love Story, and uh, I hope uh, the place keeps going and thrives uh, in the next who knows next hundred years. Thank you. Thanks, Ivor. All right. Thanks for calling in. It looks like we have another call. We have John from Montville on the line. John, if you'd like to go ahead with your question or comment. Yes. Uh, I want, wanted to, to ask what what you think Helen and Scott would say about genetically modified organisms and what the 
the uh, center, um, uh, you know, what their views on on that, or, or what. Um, just okay, John. We can take about genetically modified GMOs. Okay, John. Thanks. We'll have. Uh, I guess we'll ask Warren to to speak okay. to the genetic engineering GMO piece. All right. Thanks for your question, John. Um, obviously, I can't tell you exactly what Helen and Scott would uh, would say. I would certainly think that they would be opposed to uh, anything that really mess with uh, with the natural world. And so, I think they would definitely be opposed to uh, to GMOs and. Uh, the possible effects that they would have on the environment. They really believe strongly in uh, just having things that were just sustainable, that sustained the environment, and that added to, um, that didn't really challenge uh, the environmental world. Um, as far as the Good Life Center, we, we have had speakers come and talk about uh, GMOs. Uh, we had an author, um, Caitlin Shetterly, talk about her book, which she wrote about GMOs. And we had another presentation, uh, I think, two years ago uh, in opposition to uh, the use of GMOs. So that's where pretty much where we stand. But uh, usually our programs are, um, you know, just try to get information out there so we can have a discussion and talk about these issues, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, coming down on one side or the other, but really uh, looking at the issues from all different sides. Yeah, okay. Um, Great. Well, we have another caller. We have Richard from uh, Winter Harbor. Richard, if, like, if you'd like to go ahead with your question or comment. Hi. I'm a student of uh, Helen and Scott Nearing after the many years, especially on the, uh, their involvement in the peace movement. So we act on 100 years after that First World War. And uh, Scott and uh, Eugene Debs and a number of others were against the war, and they understood the power plays that were going on. And uh, as Smedley Butler said, war is a racket. The only ones that make the money are those with the stock market and the bankers. So it's about time we end all this crap. That's all I want to say. Okay, Richard. Thank you for calling in. And uh, yeah, Scott. Uh, Scott was very much a pacifist from early on in his life. Um, he railed against uh, corporate interests in uh, the military-industrial complex way uh, early in the uh, in the twentieth century. Uh, he was jailed for his uh, his pamphlet called "The Great Madness." He talked about in that pamphlet uh, the un. Uh, you know, unethical practice of corporate profits during a war effort while our boys were dying in World War I. Um, he was jailed, tried for sedition. Um, he, uh, he defended himself and was acquitted. But uh, Scott was very much a spokesman uh, for pacifism and for um, against the corporate world. Um, he really uh, felt that the banks and the corporations were a huge negative influence on our country. And that capitalism itself um, was not um, couldn't couldn't uh, coincide with uh, a democratic society. Um, he felt that uh, he was writing about income inequality in the early 1900s, and saying that you couldn't have a democratic society um, with the income inequality that existed in the United States. 
And I think a lot of his ideas are still very, very viable uh, in today's world, mm-hmm. particularly as his pacifism. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I guess the other, um, well, it looks like we maybe have another caller. We have David from Brooklyn, if you'd like to go ahead, David. Thank you. Yeah, hi. Thanks for the show, and uh, thanks for the, hats uh, off to Helen and Scott. It's been a great inspiration to me, and I'm sure many, many other people here and elsewhere. Uh, I think what the, the, my takeaway so far from the show is how uh, really inseparable our farming, eating, feeding ourselves from what you might call politics or what you might call spirituality. Uh, I think it's pretty easy nowadays when we are so used to compartmentalizing everything to uh, to see Scott's biography, for example, as, well, he started off being a, a social activist and then he discovered farming, you know, or... Uh, 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 Helen started, you know, her background was was with theosophy, but then, uh, you know, she came to something else. I mean, it's, it's, I think you can't really eat or live or farm healthily, really healthily, unless you have something like a right relation to your fellow human, uh, which means, on the one hand, uh, your fellow farmers, which means uh, the farm fabric of a country, of a, of a piece of, of a piece of countryside, I should say, as being a, uh, one organism made up of many, many, many different farms in cooperation. Perhaps they wouldn't all be growing the same thing. Perhaps uh, there'd be uh, cooperative diversification in production so as to be able to supply more fully the needs of the whole community. Uh, there'd be a, a, a really uh, uh, top uh, visibility movement toward uh, bringing the whole community into uh, cooperation with uh, uh, locally uh, sustainable agriculture. Uh, that's the way that politics, you know, which is, you know, I mean, and not waste a lot of time, not that it's a waste of time, but it, you, you can so easily get into a whole, oh, I'm, I don't think capitalism is the way, and you can often, you know, like agitate against capitalism, but what about, you know, the homesteading movement is about living these things. And, you know, you can't really, you can't really homestead really completely even and, until you are uh, something of a socialist because you need your neighbors. Uh, uh, and spiritually, I, I just wanted to bring... Uh, into the discussion, the, uh, the 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 concept of biodynamic agriculture, which is uh, a, a sort of uh, uh, a development from from uh, organic agriculture, which was developed by uh, a German philosopher, Austrian philosopher, Rudolf Steiner, uh, right at the uh, turn of the century, beginning of the. Okay, David. Um... We're, we'll definitely, I'll ask a little bit about the biodynamic piece, and we appreciate your comments. We do have a couple of the callers on the line that we wanted to move through, so thank you definitely for calling in, David. Um, I believe next we have Bill from Bangor calling in, if you'd like to go ahead, Bill. Hi, I had uh, two quick questions. Thanks for the show. I've been there several times to Good Life and very happy. One quick question is about the international impact of Helen and Scott. Uh, I know a fair amount about the Back to the Land movement, but don't know anything about overseas. And the other one was a kind of funny question. I have two printed quotes from Helen and Scott that I got at the Good Life Center. One's called Every Man His Own Radical, and one's called 
1992 from Helen about love. And when I went back last year, they didn't have any. So if you could reprint them, I think people would buy them. They're cool. Okay, we have reprinted them, and they oh, are great. they are out there now. I'll go there again then. <laughs> yeah. And uh, their international impact, uh, their books have been translated into many languages, uh, in Europe, German, uh, and um, Spanish. And we're also, um, the books are very popular in South Korea. Interesting. They, yep, a spiritual leader, and I can't remember his name, um, who uh, espoused an ascetic life, uh, got a hold of Living the Good Life, and he recommended to his followers that uh, they should read Living the Good Life. So we send a lot of books, and we get royalties from South Korea, and we actually get quite a few visitors from South Korea. They come to, oh, wow. they come to the United States, and one of their stops is Harborside, Maine, which is really... make an outing to get there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. Uh, so they, did, they do have an international um, following. Uh, we have people from all over the world every summer that come. Um, uh-huh. And uh, as uh, Masanabu said earlier, they did, they did lecture all over the world um, uh, at vegetarian conferences and uh, during the Cold War particularly, they, uh, the Eastern Bloc countries invited Scott and Helen to speak there. Another, another place visitors might like if they're in the neighborhood is the Deer Isle Hostel. Absolutely. A, yeah, people it's might a wonderful, know about it as a homestead. Yeah, wonderful place. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. Thank Thanks. you, Bill. Thank you for calling in. And I think we have another caller. Is it Richard from Winter Harbor? Yeah, he is. Thanks for calling back in, Richard. Did you have another comment or question? I do. Uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with the new silk road from the Van Bridge. Developing, China's developing. It's revolutionizing the planet. It's revolutionizing the planet. And I know Scott and Helen would be 100% behind it. It's a win-win for everybody. Peace movement. Zero-sum game that we have dominated the planet for at least the western end of the planet for 200 years is coming to an end. So we must join the new Silk Road. Please do yourself a favor and look at this. Hundreds of countries now have joined in. The United States, hopefully, and Western Europe will join, hopefully. Okay, that's my comment. Okay, thank you, Richard. Thank you. Um, I think uh, we'll remind everyone that this is Common Ground. We're talking about the Good Life Center and the legacy of Helen and Scott Nearing. Uh, we just had a good flurry of calls, and we're still open to more comments and questions, and you can get right into the studio here and join the conversation at 469-0500. And again, uh, my guests in the studio are Warren Bur- Berkowitz from Blue Hill and Masanabu Ikemya from Bar Harbor. So um, I think I wanted to touch back on a question, but Masanabu, did you have something you wanted to yeah, share? Well, I just wanted to say how, you know, um, Helen and Scott inspired us to, mm-hmm. uh, to live good life <laughs> with the homesteading. And uh, I have a beautiful quote uh, by Helen. Helen, living the good life for us was practicing harmony with the earth and all that lives on it. It was frugal living, self-subsistence, uh, self-sustaining. It was earning our way by the sweat of our brows, beholding no employer or job. It was growing our own food, building our own buildings, cutting our own wood, and providing for our own livelihood. 
we needed and used little money. If we couldn't pay for a thing, we made it ourselves and or did it without. And um, we uh, enjoy doing that so much. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, somebody mentioned the, you know, um, ho um, the Isle Hostel, you know, which well, they were inspired, of course, uh, by Helen Scott Nearings. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so we try to live the same way. And one of the things uh, we are really into is Helen's um, uh, was into uh, eating um, raw food you know, as nature provided, mm -hmm. uh, eating as, doing as little as possible to the food. And, uh, you know, uh, I, w we have this wonderful book by Helen, A Simple Food for the Good Life, alternative cookbook, but sometimes she calls it uncookbook. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's so wonderful. Um, and uh, this is, we use this all the time. And one of the chapters says, uh, complicate or simplify processed versus fresh foods. So, um, you know, it's, uh, there are three kinds of food stuff. Those raw, vital, fresh, as found in the nature. And then another one is those cooked with vitality largely killed by high temperature. And the last one is those manufactured, processed, deadened, or poisoned. <laughs> a guide to safer eating is poisoned world might well be avoid those food that are imperishable. Eat only those food that spoil or rot or decay, but eat them before they do. <laughs> so she says, you know. So uh, it's so wonderful that um, every time we go there, uh, she spend so little time um actually as she loves show around her you know beautiful garden uh, uh and uh so as she's we are going around we just you know she said taste this tomato or taste this kale or whatever we keep picking and then we you know minute we know it we had the whole meal <laughs> right there you know just foraging just uh, walking uh, through the garden exactly and, property. and uh it's uh, we try to practice that you know, mm -hmm. wonderful way of raw, eat, raw food uh, and living food, mm -hmm. um, which they practiced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there were a couple things I wanted to just ask about because we've mentioned different books, and I was curious. Um, Living the Good Life yes. seems to be the start of it all, mm -hmm. but there are Masanobu has a couple books that yeah. he mentioned. Right. Um, there really, are other books yep. out there. Wonderful guiding principle for a good life. Uh, by okay. Scott and Guiding Principles for a Good Life. Yeah, this is just such a, you know, beautiful uh, inspiration for mm -hmm. us. And right. were they writing these books all towards the, or after living the good life, but writing other books towards the end of their lives? Uh, yeah, they were writing books <clears throat> right along. Um, living the Good Life was about Vermont. Then they wrote a book, Continuing the Good Life, mm -hmm. which was about Maine, so that we combined those two books and created a book called The Good Life. And uh, that's the book that we sell now to people. Okay. But um, there's also uh, uh, Scott's autobiography, Making of a Radical, which is an amazing book about his coming of age as a radical at a young age mm -hmm. uh, and the history of his family and himself. Um, and then Conscience of a Radical goes along with that. Um, and then uh, Helen 
has written uh, a book, Loving, the Le- Loving and Leaving the Good Life, about Scott's end of life and her feelings about him passing. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely book um, uh, from a heartfelt place. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so those are some of the more, and the simple uh, foods for the good life is also one of the main books. But there are, there are others. Uh, most of it, uh, Scott's early books are out of print now. Uh, and we sell a few of those at The Good Life. Uh, you can go on our website, goodlife.org, and look at the bookshop, and there's a whole listing of all the books there mm-hmm. that, you can, uh, that you can buy, as well as some of those uh, printed papers that, uh, that one gentleman mentioned, uh, some of their quotes that we put on with letterpress. It's really quite attractive and really nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so those weren't an actual a book. Were those just some quotes from writings or speeches? Those were quotes, yeah, out of their writings that uh, a gentleman in, in Vermont um, who owns a letterpress, he does a lot of printing for us. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, he puts them on this really nice paper, and people like to give them as gifts and things like that. So yeah. those, those should also be on our, uh, our website on, as well. On your website as well. Yep, and we have a movie called The Good Life, um, Living the Good Life, which was made in the 70s, and it takes place at the old house and the building of the new house, and that's also uh, very interesting. If you never met the Nearings, it's a wonderful documentary mm-hmm. that uh, Bullfrog Films did back in the mid-70s. Okay. That's also for sale. Okay. So all those materials are available through the website? Yes. Goodlife.org. Yeah. Good good exactly. I'm trying to look over my shoulder and say <laughs> um, Okay. I think uh, we're getting into the last 10 minutes or so. There was one question that I was curious about. Um, one of the callers had asked about how they might have felt about biodynamic farming. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly think um, I think they knew about it. Um, and uh, certainly a lot of the principles of biodynamic gardening go along with the way they gardened mm-hmm. as well. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, I think with biodynamic, and I'm certainly not an expert on that by any means, there's a whole spiritual aspect to yes. that uh, type of uh, gardening system. And uh, I think Helen and Scott certainly uh, agreed with that spirituality. As I said, I think there a lot of their uh, efforts had that uh, behind that. So I think they would definitely be... Okay. Yeah, in favor of that. I know there are some animal involvements there in biodynamics yeah, as well, exactly. which they would have yeah. stayed yeah. away from. Um, right. But we have, we do have another caller. This um, maybe time for the, this last call for the show today, possibly. But we have Barbara from Lincolnville. If you'd like to go ahead, Barbara. Hi. Yes. Great talk about all the the spirituality and the political. Uh, consciousness that Scott and Helen had, one thing that seems to have been missing from this conversation of their life is the practicality. Um, I remember Scott had this, um, they devised a great um, parsing out of their day. So you got 24 hours in a day, you sleep for eight hours, and then as I'm remembering this, uh, they would sort of slot out four hours, not in blocks of time, but long-term projects like building the sap house or the stone wall, um, your personal projects, um, writing your book, correspondence. Wasn't Helen a musician? I think she played. Yes, she was. She, she raised was the violin. Yeah, wonderful. And so that you you make sure that throughout the day you took care of all the things that needed to be done 
long term and short term, filling the wood box, shoveling the snow, and also the things that um, you needed for your soul and your spirit to do, the, the writing, the reading, the studying, the, all of that. And I, that always uh, appealed to me and made a lot of sense when you're doing everything on your own um, in that uh, homesteading experience. Yeah, thanks, Barbara. Yeah, this is Warren. Uh, they lay that out pretty clearly in Living the Good Life, and that's how they live. They were very organized about their day and long-term projects, three, five, ten-year plans, um, and they stuck to them. Uh, and that's how they got so much accomplished, <laughs> uh, because they were so organized. But they left time for the intellectual pursuits, their reading and writing, and they also left time, which was very important to them, to be... Uh, uh, to give back to the community. Uh, they really saw themselves as world citizens and were committed to doing that. And I think that's one aspect of their homesteading is they went back to the land, but they didn't go back to the land to hide from society. They went back to the land to contribute to society in a different way. And I think that's a really important aspect of their life and their legacy is that they wanted to contribute, and they did, obviously. Um, the The irony of being... Uh, fired from uh, academia and not able to uh, teach young people is they went back to the land, put some seeds in the ground, and they influence tens and thousands times more people than they ever would <laughs> had Scott stayed at the University of Pennsylvania teaching mostly wealthy kids um, mm. economics. So um, uh, it's a great piece of irony in Scott's life. Yeah, also uh, there's a beautiful quote, uh, service to the society is what they're really, uh, you know, their life is all about. And uh, here it is, a uh, quote from 1916. Uh, Scott uh, says, uh, service is the only test that the economist can apply as measure of worth. In so far as we do for others, we are expressing truth, justice, and mercy in our Acts. Thus, the spiritual value appear in material or at least in visible forms. Worth is measured by service. People are worth as much as they serve. That's a beautiful quote, isn't it? <laughs> Just so, you know, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. they, they put in everything in such a concise you know, valuable words and uh, reading this every day it just reminds us that service to you know others is what our life is all about mm -hmm. so we, i need to serve you know yeah so inspiration there um oh uh, well so we are getting into the last few minutes um just a couple minutes left and i wanted to make sure that we were able to just put out information on some of the educational mm -hmm. events that you mentioned warren if you wanted Great. to touch sure. on those again yeah tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock at the good life center there's a solar workshop anybody interested in getting into solar or more information, uh, Revision Energy, which is a worker-owned company, um, is, is going to be uh, putting on a workshop for us there. On Monday night, uh, Margot Kelly from uh, Port Clyde is going to be doing a, a, a Monday night meeting about uh, utopian society and their influence on the nearings. And then a week from Monday, uh, Elliot Coleman, the 13th, will be uh, talking at the Good Life Center. And then uh, also on Sunday, August 19th at 3 o'clock at the UU Church, uh, Masanabu will be giving a concert um, 
that combines classical music and ragtime music, and it's just a joy uh, to hear him play. So I uh, hope to see everybody there. Okay, and there was one other event that we wanted to make people aware of coming up in the future that WERU is presenting uh, Baldemar Velasquez, who is a highly renowned president of the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, AFL-CIO, and that is September 20th at 7 p.m. at the Crosby Center in Belfast, and uh, this is presented in partnership with Americans Who Tell the Truth. And in addition, uh, Baldemar will be speaking at the Common Ground Country Fair as one of the keynotes, and that's occurring on Saturday, uh, September 22nd, to Great. to put in some other educational opp opportunities. Um, well, we are getting into the last minute or two mm -hmm. here on the show, and I wanted to remind folks that this has been Common Ground Radio. Uh, we're here on the first Friday of every month from 10 a.m. to 11, and we were talking about the Good Life Center today, uh, and my guests have been Warren Berkowitz from Blue Hill, who is board member and farm manager. And Warren, I really want to thank you for coming in. Thank you for the invitation. Coming in today. And also Masanabu Ikemya, who is from Bar Harbor. And I want to thank you for coming in also, Masanabu. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for giving me a chance. And um, I don't know if there was, Warren, any kind of like last closing remark you would want to make for folks? Um, oh, reception after the concert. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> There will be a reception after Masanabu's uh, concert and also an opportunity uh, to meet Masanabu and the board members at the, at the Good Life Center. And I would just encourage people to, um, to visit. If you've never visited, uh, you will be very impressed and hopefully leave inspired like most people do. All right. Great. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Thanks to John Greenman for engineering today's show. And uh, everyone stay tuned for On the Wing. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. Support for WERU also comes from Bruce Parley Incorporated, specializing in custom-built staircases and also fine-finished carpentry on yachts, trolleys, etc. since 1998. In Trenton at 479-4269 or brparley at gmail.